1: Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy.
2: All right, I hope everybody had a great Memorial Day weekend, and wherever you were, I hope you had a slew of winners. Uh, going to bring uh, another highly entertaining show to you tonight, I hope, and I don't see why not with the great guests I have. My first guest uh, was the uh, director of broadcasting and play-by-play announcer for the Missouri River Otters minor league hockey team in St. Louis. Now, you're probably scratching your head saying, John... Why were you having this guy on? Well, he eventually turned out to be uh, uh Dan Silver, who is the director of racing operations at uh, Penn National Racecourse, and he has put together... A, a slew of fantastic races. I don't know if you read the Pollock Report uh, yesterday. Uh, they they did a, a feature on Dan. So we're going to be talking about what's going to be going on uh, with the races surrounding the brand new Penn Mile, a half a million dollar race, going a mile on the turf for three-year-olds. Got a couple horses that had Derby aspirations in there. Turns out they might be better grass runners after all but uh so anyhow we will uh, start out with, with Dan Silver he's going to tell us about the the whole uh, the concept of of putting this together and uh, some of the interesting things that'll be going on at the races including a painting racehorse uh and then uh, we're going to have as our handicapper, he'll be the handicapper at 10 National that night. Uh, award-winning, Eclipse Award-winning Dick Girardi, of course, uh, writer for the Philadelphia Enquirer. Uh, he's won two Red Smith Awards for Best Kentucky Derby Stories, and his story on uh, Barbara won him the Eclipse Award. Uh, very uh, revered. Uh, sports writer Dick Girardi. We're lucky to get him. I know I'm calling him out of a dinner engagement, and I thank him very much, but he's been handicapping these races, and let me tell you, folks, if you're looking for value, uh, you're, you're going to find it at Penn National on Saturday. These races will be run early evening. They're going to be run as the second, third, and fourth races. Uh, on the card, uh, they'll probably fit in very nice after, uh, other feature races, uh, on, on the East Coast. And then of course, uh, we are going to uh, talk a little bit about the, uh, the Belmont Stakes, uh, with Dick Girardi, and then we'll get into the, the meat of handicapping those races. I want to announce we got something special going on. The folks at Winning Ponies, uh, we're putting together a Belmont Stakes handicapping contest, okay? So listen up. Get your pens, because I'm going to tell you where you're going to put your entries, okay? Um, we are going to have a Belmont contest. We want your top four picks in order as if you were making a straight superfecta bet. The cool thing is we got some great prizes uh, for you. Okay, We're going to start out. we got two copies. You may recall about a month ago we had Jack Van Berg on Winning Ponies. And we've got two copies. The book is out now. Jack, From Grit to Glory, A Lifetime of Mentoring, Dedication, and Perseverance, written by Chris Katolik. And what a job he has done. This thing is about as thick as the American Racing Manual. It follows Jack from his early days uh, working with his father, Marion Van Berg. Uh, so there's some outstanding uh, photos uh, chronicling his career. And uh, I think you're really going to, to like the book if, if you don't win it. You can also buy it, of course. So anyhow, the top two finishers are going to get an autograph copy of Jack from Grit to Glory. After that, our friend at Pat Lang Photography is offering winning photos. We thought we'd follow up the Van Berg of Ali Sheba uh, when he uh, won the Breeders' Cup. At uh, Churchill Downs and became the all-time winningest horse. The Breeders' Cup Classic, as you may recall, it was uh, pretty much under nightfall that year, and uh, it's uh, it's a classic photo again from our friends at Pat Lang Photography. And then also, of course, uh, we certainly haven't forgotten last year's Horse of the Year, Wise Dan, and uh, uh, Curtis Cody has donated uh, some beautiful posters of uh wise dan, it's a compilation that was put together. So uh again, top four finishers, you send it to show at winningponies dot com. Okay? I'll try to repeat this at the end at the end of the show. But again, your top four picks, show at winningponies dot com. We're going to accept entries right up until noon on Belmont Day. So you can check out the weather conditions or if there's any late scratches. But again, we hope you'll participate and hopefully you'll get one of those top prizes. Alright, well, one of the top uh, prizes in the world are the races at Ascot, and uh, our friend Johnny V, who's come back from his rib injury very well, actually flew over to England and worked Animal Kingdom uh, earlier this week. Uh, you know, there you pretty much go on, on a straightaway for most of it, and he has won at Royal Ascot um, he worked pretty much by himself. It was a five-furlong work on the straight course. Uh, he really stretched out well. The only thing was right at the wire, uh, there was a little bit of anxiety. He kind of jumped at the wire. The, the grass went one way and a shadow went the other. And uh, Nonetheless, uh, he gathered himself up well after that. It had been uh, soft turf. Uh, but he went very well. He said he handled it well. Again, at Ascot, you never know what the weather is, is going to be uh, like. There was a little concern. There were a lot of the, the partners uh, were there, you know, watching the workout. But they said he actually. Really went great. And don't forget, he did his workout without any blinkers or a shadow roll uh, of which he will wear when he runs at uh, Ascot. And, of course, uh, uh, Aerofield Stud came in and bought part of him, so he's going to shuttle from Australia. And then he's going to be able to uh, come back to the United States, so he'll uh, be standing here for his connections at Team Valor. Again, Graham Motion, the trainer, I believe that uh, he and Team Valor are kind of parted ways except for Animal Kingdom. So it'll be very interesting. Speaking of Johnny V., uh, he's nearing the 5,000 win mark. Uh, he's closing in on that milestone. Uh, he's at 4,992 wins. Sad to say he went 0 for 6 at Belmont today, but it's, it's just a matter of time. Of course, uh, John, John, uh, in no rush to get it. When it happens, it happens. Uh, pretty much we all know he's gonna get there. And, uh, if, uh, you think about it, he'll become the 28th rider to, to win 5,000 races. And right now he's ranked third all time in career purse money, uh, uh, trailing, um, the leader, Pat Day, by $11.9 million. But Johnny V, he's only 41 years old. He's still got plenty of racing back in, and he's, uh, he's excited about going over to Ascot later in the meet. Hope he picks up some more mounts. He's going to let people know that, that he is, in fact, uh, available. Uh, speaking of top jockeys, well, who's the top jockey of them all? Russell Bayes? Not so quick. Argentine jockey Jorge Ricardo became the first rider to surpass 12,000 wins last week in Buenos Aires. He's 51 years old and native of Brazil, rides primarily in Argentina. Uh, Russell Bayes is the all-time winningest North American, Jack, and uh, he's getting close. He's got 11,956. Of course, Bayes a little bit younger than 51. uh, Good chance someday he's going to be able to to go past him. Um, Had another kind of milestone this week at... uh, Thistledown Racino, as it is now called, Diane King became the oldest female jockey to win a race when she rode Ledge Hill to victory at Thistle Down. She is 67 years old, riding her own horse, Ledgehill, who is trained by her husband. Uh, She's won more than 1.6 million in purses uh, throughout her storied career uh, that she's uh, ridden for over five decades. So, uh, congratulations to Diane King. Nice to know at 67, he can still be getting the job done. Well, we talked so much about Frankel over the past year, and uh, the, the. the action doesn't stop with his family. Joy Ouse's half-sister uh, broke her maiden first time out for two-year-old fillies by three and a quarter lengths, and they are going to be pointing her, I believe, to the grade three Albany stakes at Royal Ascot. You can imagine the uh, uh, the pressure that was on uh, Jackie uh, Tom Quealy and trainer Henry Cecil as they, uh, they sent her to post, but nonetheless, uh, uh, Frankel's uh little sister wins her career debut. Now it's three quarter brother Bullet Train. We talked about him coming to an America and uh you know standing here well it turns out that he's going to shuttle uh he's standing now at Midway Kentucky and uh he's going to be g- going down uh to uh, South Wales Australia so he'll be going back and forth of course he's a three quarter brother to Frankel. certainly bloodlines that will be in demand well hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to uh Dick Girardi about the, the, the Belmont Stakes, the, the field has not been set, uh, looks right now, we'll take just a quick look uh, at the top horses, Orb, Revolutionary, Oxbow, uh, Freedom Child, Golden Soul, Unlimited Budget, Code West, question mark, overanalyzed, Palace Malice, had a great work, Will Take Charge, Giant Finish, Midnight Taboo, and Always a Tiz. So let's go back now because of uh, Memorial Day weekend, and we'll take a look at some of the top races and see if we have time for any more national news. Uh, uh, we uh, we handicap with Frank Angst of the races from Saturday because we didn't have the PPs in from Memorial Day yet. And uh, we do now, and there were just some fantastic racing. Obviously, the Metropolitan Handicap, at the end of the year, you know how they have contests for what was, what was the best race of the year. Would not be surprised if this race won it and certainly will be one of the the top nominees. Uh, Flat Out was in there, but he, he was way, way back. But he, actually behind him in the early going was uh, Jerry Hollandover for Sahara Sky. And uh, those two were, were far back. Uh, meanwhile, rail speed went to cross traffic. Uh, patience paid off for Todd Pletcher. Didn't start this horse until he was a four-year-old, uh, but uh, came into the race with two wins and a game second in the Westchester. And it uh, looked like cross traffic had it won. But from out of nowhere, jumping up was Sahara Sky. And let's face it, if there's any hotter jockey in America, I don't know who it is. Joel Rosario was in the saddle. So Sahara Sky gets up, nips cross traffic at the wire, and uh, finishing third was flat out. Flat out was making a good move, but he got himself in trouble and ran into traffic on the turn. He ended up running third, but again, the Metropolitan Handicap, always a fantastic race. It stamps great horses, and I think we saw one of the best races of the year right there Uh, The Acorn, well, it looks like uh, the horses that uh, didn't fare well in the Kentucky Oaks uh, did a lot better in New York. Uh, Midnight Lucky, Bob Baffert comes into New York, uses Rosie Napravnik, sent off at even money, and Midnight Lucky took command into the stretch after being bumped at the start and was an easy winner over close hatches who finished up the track in the Kentucky Oaks sent away at seven to one that day and a running third was Cowie Katie and I will say from observations uh, the rail was not the place you wanted to be at Belmont on uh, Memorial Day uh, you know Cowie Katie obviously one of the best horses per generation but right now midnight lucky she is three for four throw out the Kentucky Oaks Bob Baffert does it in New York. Uh, then it was the Ogden Phipps handicap, and uh, in this race, it was uh, a six-year-old mare that had never won a grade one, and what a beautiful job by Joe Rocco, Jr. He rated her in fourth throughout the race and ended up getting up at four to one, uh, authenticity, led into the lane, looked like it was going to get there, another Todd Pletcher trainee with Mike Smith up, and in the third spot was long shot, number four, centering. All right, the races we looked at with Frank Angst, um, uh, we started out at Arlington, the Arlington Classic. Well, this was uh, a, a Claim of foul, Joe Rocco Jr. on Saturday snuck up the fence with general election and got the job done. Survived several claims of fouls against other horses, uh, but eventually uh, he did he did withstand the win. Admiral Kitten, the nine to five favorite, uh, stayed in the second spot while uh, Jeffest, who claimed foul, got moved up from fourth to third. That was the Arlington Classic in the Arlington Matron. It was imposing grace getting up by a half length Channing Hill in the saddle for former jock Wayne Catalano. In second spot was a sisterhood who was just a neck ahead of Byron King from the daily racing forms. A lot of love and congratulations. Even the third spot paid pretty well in the Arlington matron. Then we went to the Sheepshead Bay in New York. An Irish bred tannery at 10 to 1 got the, got the top spot. Uh, running second was Angie's, who was Frank Anks' long shot of the day, 21-1. So I hope you butt that one across the board. Uh, thanks to uh, Frank Anks for giving us the long shot in the Sheepshead Bay. And then we went out to Hollywood Park, Short Field. We said it, it was obviously oh, going to be a standout winner, and it was obviously the Irish spread at 2-5. to 5, Got the job done over European invader Luque Ann. Well, that's a look at the races that we handicapped last week. Again, we're going to concentrate now on, on Penn National, and we're going to get a chance to talk to a former hockey announcer and now racing operations officer at uh, Dan Silver. So uh, we're going to take a little bit of a break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Winning Ponies.
1: internet flagship station for
2: sports voice america sports and they're off
1: what can't make it to the track
0: on the Voice America Sports Network. Here, 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 here. The opening kickoff is a beauty. There's a fly ball deep right field. Back goes O'Neal. He's a at tough the... shot. got it With 2.8 seconds left. <laughs> I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here.
1: From high school to the pros, we, <laughs> we, cover everything. we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Englehart.
2: All right, and like I said, at the top of the show, we're going to have with us the former play-by-play announcer for the Missouri River Otters hockey team. (laughs) And uh, his name is Dan Silver. Of course, uh, if you followed New York Racing for the last five years, uh, he was uh, the Director of Communications and Media Relations uh, there. Uh, He's since been replaced by a frequent guest on Winning Ponies, Eric Wing, who I think will do an exceptional job. But uh, Dan kind of took the jump uh, into racing operations at Hollywood Casino at Penn National, uh, kind of Accepting new duties, uh, of course, with all the experience uh, that he's had in New York, obviously, it's going to apply uh, well to uh, what he's going to be doing over there at Penn National. Uh, he um, at, was an English major at Harvard uh, Haverford College, rather, uh, with a master's degree from the Middle School of Journalism at Northwestern University, and then he went to uh, the RTI program at the University of Arizona. We've had a lot of guests on from there, and uh, like we said, it's kind of a Philly-based uh, program with uh, with uh, Girardi going to be on with us, and now we got Dan Silver. Dan, great to have you on Winning Ponies.
3: Thanks, John. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're looking forward to, uh, to just a huge weekend here at Penn National. It should be really, really good.
2: It really is. Now, uh, d- describe to me, uh, the, the, the whole concept of putting this together. This, from what I read, will be the richest day ever of racing, uh, uh, at, uh, uh, <clears throat> Penn National. And it looks like, uh, you, you've been getting a lot of good pub. You, you, you drew some very good horses. Uh, it, it's always a gamble when you do something for the first time. Describe to me the, 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 the thought process and how you got it done.
3: Okay, so uh, we've been around Penn National Racecourse uh, for about 40 years, and there's never been really a huge budget for the stakes races. It's about $1.5 million. And in the past few years, it's grown a little bit. Um, and it's, it's previously been um, sort of uh, four or five stakes days spread throughout the, the year, you know, with like $100,000 stakes, maybe a $150,000 stake here or there. But what we really wanted to do was sort of follow the Charlestown model where um, you develop one or two marquee event days um, and base those around you know one really marquee race that, that you can um, use to you know, bring some of the, the top trainers, top horses, top jockeys to your racetrack, um, expose both your fans at the track to those folks, and then sort of do something that hopefully will get the attention. Of uh, horse players around the country, um, because I think when you have a couple big days like that, you can really build around that. I mean, they got you know Game On Dude at Charlestown for the Charlestown Classic, and people say, Hey, Charlestown has got Game On Dude there. You know, it must be. Uh, it sort of raises the profile of the track on a national level, and so that's what we wanted to do here at Penn National. And so what we did was uh, we looked at the stakes calendar and tried to find a category and time of the year that would make sense for a marquee race. I've always been a fan of turf racing. Um, when I got the job here, some of the trainers in New York uh, told me that, hey, you know, Penn National is a really good turf course. Try and find uh, some ways of taking advantage of that. And so I, in my, the back of my head, I thought, okay, maybe we can have a turf race. Well, looking at the calendar, the three-year-old turf category is really underserved at this time of year. You've got the grade two American turf, At Arlington on Kentucky Oaks Day Um, and then about 10 weeks later you've got the Virginia Derby uh, Colonial but between that there really isn't much so we thought that hey if we put a $500,000 three-year-old turf race the week before the Belmont maybe we can get some of the horses from the American turf maybe some of the horses that ran at Keeneland in the Transylvania maybe some horses that uh, tried the Kentucky Derby trail and that didn't work out for them and now they want to get back on the turf and so we took a shot with it and, um, it, and put some big races around it uh, with uh, six other stakes races on Saturday's card, including a $250,000 race. And actually, prior to this year, our biggest purse was a $200,000 race. Really? So, um, yeah. The, Penn, uh, the Pennsylvania Governor's Cup was $200,000 last year. That was the biggest purse. So we've got now a $500,000 um, on Saturday, a 250 dollars and then the Governor's Cup is a 150 dollars But so for the Penn, Penn Mile... I mean, if you had asked me back when we were thinking about putting a race like this together, the kind of horses that we'd want to get, we went over and above the expectations that we had. Our, um, our racing secretary here, Dave Bailey, and our stakes coordinator, Craig Lightel just did a great job putting these races together. And, and to me, we've got the three best three-year-old turf horses in the country all here for this race with Noble Toon, who won the American Turf, uh, Jack Milton, who won the Transylvania, and Ride-A-Luke, who won the uh, the Palm Beach, which is a grade three. And then you throw in Charming Kitten, who ran ninth in the Kentucky Derby and is probably better on the turf. Uh, are you kidding me for Roger Atfield and, and a couple other real nice horses. And uh, I think it, it sort of uh, it came to fruition for what we were looking at.
2: It really did. And, you know, you just named five horses. I would not want to be the track handicapper at Penn National for Saturday. Because those horses that you just named, I mean, uh, this reminds me of the Kentucky Derby. I mean, I, I, the favorite could easily go off at 5-1 to one or better.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, the, the fun thing about a race like this is that these top three horses have not run against each other. So that's so rare for big races where... Noble Toon is 4-for-5 on the turf. His only loss was in the Breeders' Cup. He ran second against a horse that's in Europe. Rydeluke is 3-for-3 on the turf. He won a grade 3 by 3.5 lengths. Edgar Prado has never even asked him to run on the turf, and he's undefeated. Jack Milton, for Todd Pletcher, wins the Transylvania. Uh, He's only run three times, two wins. The horse that he beat in the Transylvania, up with the Birds, came back to win a stake at Woodbine by 5.5 lengths last week. And these three horses haven't run against each other. So that's, to me, the fun part of a race like this. The three-year-old turf division is just sort of beginning to sort itself out. And this is the race where we're going to find out which one of these three horses, and maybe it's a different horse in the race, right now is the best three-year-old turf uh, horse. So that's what's exciting to me.
2: Well, Dan, as busy as you have been, you probably did not get a chance to be part of the NTRA teleconference today.
3: I was not able to join, no.
2: Okay. Of course, everybody, everybody's assuming, okay, we've got, you, you, you know, you know, Pletcher and, and Gary Stevens and, uh, West Point stable. And Marcus Hirsch says, Hey, Todd, I hate to change the subject, but can we talk a little bit about the 10 miles? So I just want to tell you, hats off to you. Obviously, right in the middle of the Belmont Stakes uh, teleconference. Todd Pletcher spent about seven minutes talking about, uh, his two horses in, in here. And he had interesting things for the listeners to say about both Jack Milton and Charming Kitten. Uh, just briefly, since you missed it, uh, Jack Milton, who, who won the Grade 3 Transylvania, they said that, uh, they feel that John Velasquez learned something about him is that he kind of moved a little bit early with him. And once he got the lead, he thought the race was over and he right. really had to work hard to, to, hold off up with the birds, the stakes winner you met. So you you may see a little slight different tactic with Jack Milton. And then he pointed something out about Charming Kitten who was defeated, uh, by Rydalick in the Palm, the Great Tree Palm Beach and that, uh, he may have fallen victim to a very slow pace. And, right. you know, the fact that the Kentucky Derby was his only first time on the dirt and, uh, he's thinking he might be able to turn the tables, uh, on Rydalick, a, a horse that, that you pointed out outside of its poly track race on the bluegrass stakes, uh, is, is just sensational on the turf and, you know, so it's kind of neat that in the middle of a national teleconference, you're you're getting uh, Todd Pletcher uh, pumping up your race.
3: Yeah, no, it's uh, listen, that's it's it's great. I mean, you know what's what's amazing is that you know I was at Naira, we had big stakes races, especially at Belmont and Saratoga, we had big stakes races every weekend. Well, here, this is we have two big days for the year, and this is the biggest day in the history of the track, and so I feel so much more invested in these races, especially since, um, you know, I was part of the group that sat together and came up with the idea for this day. Uh, I feel so much more invested in the horses that we get and, you know, the kind of handle that we do. Um, and, you know, the fact that uh, John Velasquez and Joel Rosario and Javier Castellano were coming here, I'm, I'm thrilled for our fans because they're not used to seeing guys like that here at, at this track. Um, and so I just think from so many angles, it's just... Uh, it's it should be a great day and a day that um, that I'm very emotionally invested in. So,
2: well, oh, you, you you talked about your rationale uh, for doing it and, and and your goal for doing it, and you know I think that uh, you you've my my hats off to you already because I mean not not only do you have the likes of an easily known name as. Uh, as Todd Pletcher, uh, but, I mean, you've got legends like, uh, King Leatherberry, uh, uh, racing there. Um, you, you've got, uh, Larry Jones is, is coming in. Kieran McLaughlin, uh, Steve Asmussen, uh, Chad Brown, uh, Mike Trombetta, Kelly Breen. I mean, these are like, uh, some of the best trainers in the country. And, uh, obviously you did, you did a great job, Dan.
3: Well, thanks. But it was like I said, you know, we have a really good team here. And, uh, you know, Dave Bailey and Craig Lytell, our Racing Secretary and Stakes Coordinator, uh, they've been at Gulfstream, they've been at Arlington, and so they know all these guys. um, And uh, they just, you know, work tirelessly over the last, you know, number of weeks and months. And, And it's just really a team effort, and I'm just so happy that everyone's going to be able to share in a day like this. And you mentioned Ben's cat. He won the Governor's Cup a couple years ago, and then on the dirt, he wins our biggest race of the year last year, the Fabulous Strike in November, and now he's back here. Uh, What a neat horse. I mean, he's got 16 stakes races. He didn't debut until he was four because he had a a pelvis injury when he was two. So he debuts as a four-year-old. And uh, he's up to 16 stakes victories. He's wheeling back on two weeks' rest from the, the uh, race at Pimlico that he won. He's the kind of horse that you know, you'd think that uh, he almost reminds you of like a Forgo or a Kelso, that just uh, the horse you don't really see anymore in this day and age. And so how neat is that? And the, the Governor's Cup came up huge. I mean, we have uh, Ben's Cat, then you've got Chamberlain Bridge, who won the Governor's Cup in 2010 and then won the Breeders' Cup. He ran really well in the uh, the Grade Three Turf Sprint. Um, the uh, on the day before the Derby on Oaks Day, he ran second by a nose. Uh, you've got Kaima, who won this race last year at Bridgetown, um, who you know is very talented for Todd Fletcher. and uh, Icon Ike for Larry Jones. I mean, that's just it's a really good race. There's eleven in there, um, and then the Mountain View came up as as a really nice race too. Uh, with rattlesnake bridge who was second in the Travers, and and Steve Asterson with Macho Macho and Pants on Fire and Easter Gift, and it just, you know, it it uh, the whole card I think uh, really came up good, and uh, I hope that the fans around the country, you know, um, you know, react positively to it.
2: Well, I I, I I think they will, and obviously I'm doing my best to promote it, and you've been getting pub all across the nation, and uh, it looks like I've got Dick Girardi on the line. I'll tell you what, he's got a guy that's, he's a guy that's got the best and the worst job in racing, and it, the best is that he gets a front row seat and it's doing something that he loves. The worst job is handicapping these races because he has his work cut out for him, and I understand he'll be your
3: paddock handicapper on Saturday. Yep, Dick and uh, Fred Lipkin. Uh, our director of marketing and publicity, who used to be the race announcer here, um, they're going to be down in the paddock for uh, for our big races on Saturday. And you know, Dick and I are both Philadelphia guys, so uh, yeah. I uh, you know I loved reading about uh, you know reading his articles when I was growing up in Philadelphia, and. Um, you know it's, so it's great for me to at, at all the big events that I see him at great for us just to talk about Philly sports and although you know you, you don't really want to talk about Philly sports now with uh, none of the teams making the playoffs i think for the first time since the early 90s that, that four successive seasons uh, for the teams where they didn't make the playoffs but uh,
2: hey, but yeah dick's going to be on the this paddock weekend is a lot of That's all fun. you got to know Dan, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, I wish you best of luck, and I'm spreading the word because I think there's going to be a lot of value out there betting on your races this uh, Saturday.
3: Thanks, Sean. I really appreciate it. Have a great weekend, and good luck.
2: Okay, we're going to take a quick break. we got Dick Girardi with us. Like I said, he's got a tough job on Saturday. we got some great races to handicap here on Winning Ponies. internet flagship station for sports
1: voice america sports
4: and they're off what
1: can't make it to the track you can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com, the home of the Easy Win form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let WinningPonies.com make some money for you.
0: Every Wednesday, you'll want to talk sports with touchdown Tony Collins and his co-host Bill Mattis. Tony's broken records and his band to the Pro Bowl and the Super Bowl We'll talk about what's happening in sports every week with news, action, and notable guests from all aspects of the sports world. We'll also involve you by discussing questions and topics of interest sent in via email from listeners all over the world. Become what you believe. Tune into Sports Talk with Touchdown Tony Collins, Wednesdays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Sports.
2: And uh, very blessed to have with me uh, Dick Girardi, who's been the racing writer for the Philadelphia Daily News since 1985. Uh, you, you've you've seen his comments on, on every major outlet of uh, thoroughbred racing. I'm uh, very respectful of the fact that he's a two-time recipient of the Red Smith Award. That's a story that is awarded for the best Kentucky Derby story. And then, of course, uh, in the year of Barbaro, uh, you can imagine how many stories are written that year. And uh, Dick was the one that ended up with with the Eclipse Award. Dick, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, John. How about you, buddy? I feel great. I feel great, but I also feel baffled because I'm looking at at these uh, races that you're going to have to host at Penn National. I know you got your work cut out for you. But before we get there, um, since you look at the racing from the national stage, I just want to kind of get your feel of uh, the the three Triple Crown races and and what we're looking at for the Belmont.
4: Yeah, it's fascinating how the, the pace of the first two races really affected the outcome Obviously, they went really fast and contested in Kentucky, and, and the closers were around one through five. And then, of course, the brightness oxbow gets to the front easily, and nobody can make up any ground on them. So, yeah, you're trying to get a sense of how that will affect this race. And, of course, now we're dealing with a mile and a half, which is a whole different deal. Uh, it looks like we're going to get a order of an oxbow back, which is cool, and maybe a full full gate 14. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's been fascinating. It's been a real exercise. And, and how pace affects results. Uh, never have I seen two triple crown races back-to-back that showed to demonstrate that any better than these two.
2: Yeah, and for anybody that uh, would like to go on, online uh, to, to the daily racing forum, you wrote a really good uh, uh, story about uh, Oxbow's uh, preakness and, and how, in this case, it, you really had a tough time comparing time to performance. Yeah,
4: it was one of the more difficult ones. Now, Andy Byer, of course, does the Maryland circuit for the Byer figure team. And, and what was happening during the day, the the track seemed to be slowing down as the day got further along. And then there was a significant wind factor, which normally the figures don't take them into account. When you're dealing with such a significant race, you want to come as close as possible, obviously, to a, to the reality. And, and, and it was just a lot more complicated than you'd like it to be. Uh, so yeah, finally the figure was posted at one oh six and I, I think it I think that accurately tells everybody what Oxpo did, but yeah, it, it was not an easy day to try to come up with a speed figure for sure.
2: Well we're looking forward uh to uh the Belmont, the Test of Champions, I mean, the, the question here is not that we don't have a talent-laden field, it's it's who can get a, a mile and a half. Um, and and some of these horses, as you know, covering the race, uh, have come from some pretty legendary foundation families, as far as uh, the female families are concerned. Uh, there's also several horses in there that are related to the, the Belmont Stakes, so a winner uh, AP Indy, and and Seattle Slew. If you want to go back a couple generations, um, it looks to be kind of interesting. I, I got a feeling—this is just me—that uh, Orb on his home court might be pretty tough. I'd like to get your read on it. Yeah, I, I think he'll go favored, and my guess
4: is he'd be the most likely winner. The turnaround from the Derby to the Preakness between Orb and Oxbow was was more than 18 lengths. Um, obviously, there's are the, somewhat closer. The, again, the pace affected the result. I also think the inside was not very good at Pimlico, and Orb, of course, was down there. Uh, home track, wide sweeping turns, pedigree certainly looks good for the distance. Um, I don't think Shook would be running if the horse wasn't right. So I, he's the uh, he's the logical horse at this point. He's not not going to be three to five this time like he was was at Pimlico. But yeah, I'm with that. I think if you said to me today, who do you like? It, it would be Orb.
2: Well, I, I, I do want to hear who you like, so that's why I, I asked you the question. Yeah, well
4: like today. Now the subject has changed obviously in uh, in nine days from now, given conditions and training and everything else. But you given what we looks what looks like the field at this moment, yeah, I think Orb is, is, is certainly the horse that deserves to be favored and it is the most likely one.
2: Well, I must say, you, you as a writer, I'm sure you, you've had a, a pretty good time with, with some of the storylines on the Derby Trail. Uh, number one, uh, the great traditions that went along with uh, Orb, the Fitz, the Jannies, the, the Claiborne Farm, and then all of a sudden jumped to, uh, recently out of retirement, uh, Gary Stevens and a trainer many have written off at 77 years old in D. Wayne Lucas. Uh, you've got to be a kid in a candy store with your storylines. Yeah, this was a camp
4: this year uh, leading up to the Derby with, uh, you, had, you had Kevin Crigger on, on a live horse. You had Rick Patino. I just covered him in the Final Four. And as you said, you had Schoen going for his first Derby with uh, the Phipps family and the Janney family, which is really cool. And then in the treatments, you're thinking, all right, if not, if not a horse live for the Triple Crown, what's the next best story? Well, you just called it Gary Stevens at 50 and D. Wayne at 77. 25 years after they won their each won their first Derby with winning colors they come back and team up to win the freakiest jockey you figure you're never going to see again as you said a trainer who most people had written off and he lost his last 31 Triple Crown races but yeah it was fun and, and, and true you always root for the if, you if your bet's not going to get there then you root for the story and I, I was sure rooting for that story.
2: Yeah, you know, and it's interesting now we're going into the Belmont Stakes where uh the teacher and his students are all going to be involved with uh Todd Pletcher and Dallas Stewart each having competitive horses in there. Uh but uh he he had uh, nothing to say about uh but glowing things about, about students that graduated, uh, from the coach's school. Well, enough about the Triple Crown. You had your work cut out for you this week because I've been handicapping for two days trying to figure out these races. Uh, we'll, we'll start with, again, these races are going to be early in the card and I'm guessing that's to attract, uh, a lot of attention from, uh, people that are at racing centers outside of Penn National so they can jump right on to these races. The second race on the card is going to be the Pennsylvania Governor's Cup Handicap. Uh, Dan alluded to this amazing horse, Ben's Cat. You know, uh, they always say a best horse's distance can be measured with a yardstick. Well, uh, you you throw five furlongs on the turf at this horse 15 times. He's won over a million dollars and 11 races. But there's obviously some talent in here that can catch him. I'm interested at, at who you ended up liking in the 41st running of the Pennsylvania Governor's Cup.
4: Yeah, it's it's a sensational race, and the race started actually a year after the track opened in 1972. As you said, four decades worth of it. This has got to be one of the best fields they've ever had. They used to run it longer. Now they run the five furlong dash distance. And yeah, Ben Scott is a great story. I heard the end of Dan, and and he didn't make his debut until he was four years old. And it, his first start, he could have been claimed for twenty thousand. Second start could have been claimed for twenty five. And King Leatherberry, who should be in the Hall of Fame and isn't, and I don't know why. Uh got, got away with a couple there, but yeah, he's won sixteen stakes. He won this race a couple of years ago. He's two for two this year, and uh, he, he, he's fun because he comes from a little off the pace. Sometimes he comes from a lot off the pace, but if he's in striking range with a hundred yards to go, he will win. And he wins all the close races, and the Fence Cat. It's a good. It's a really strong field, but I, I think he's going to be the favorite.
2: Um, last year's winner's in here in, in Kaima, uh, but I, I see a couple of uh, lines where this horse has had to take a couple vacations. Again, he's a horse, for course, undefeated on the turf at Penn National.
4: Yeah, he's the one that's kind of unexplainable. He was 34-1 to 1 when he won the race last year, and he's very inexperienced. He hasn't even raced 10 times, certainly compared to these other horses. And I suspect that race was a fluke. Uh, I gotta see it again, uh, and he's gonna be a big price again. As you said, he's got a lot of those, uh, away lines. Um yeah, he would, I, I'll be shocked if he wins. Uh, and I've been shocked before. I was, I've been shocked many times because I, I think, uh, Bridgetown should run really well. um second race off the layoff. He ran third to cat, uh, on Black Eyed Susan Day at Pimlico. And he hadn't run, uh, before then for six months into the Breeders' Cup. And speaking of good old horses, I've Chamberlain Bridge Five years ago for thirty-five thousand, he's closing on two million, and he won this race three years ago. Uh, his problem is he had not won much lately. He's two for his last eighteen.
2: Yeah, and and another horse, you know, we we talk about that uh, that likes the distance. Seventeen times this veteran, who is now a nine-year-old gelding, uh, ha- has won at this distance uh, on the turf, and uh, you know. Uh, the, the one horse uh, I think that we did mention that uh, could serve as some value at six to one with the hottest jockey in the world right now is Icon Mike, uh, trained by Larry Jones.
4: Yeah, Anything that uh Lowe is riding these days has to be taken seriously. Uh, Again, yeah, this is a really strong field, but yeah, that, that horse is definitely a contender. Uh, it's going to be a fascinating race just to see how it's run. It looks like there's a... A sufficient amount of speed to, to set up Penn's Cats late run, but he does have the outside post eleven out of eleven. Uh, should mean that, should mean he should be. He likes to uh, rally around horses anyway, but eleven that's that's a lot of ground he's going to probably have to lose on the turn in a, a
2: race that's going to last about fifty six seconds. Well, I'm going to be uh, very interesting in watching your, your analysis uh, uh, from the paddock on Saturday. Well, you just uh, mentioned uh, in the Pennsylvania Governor's Cup uh, uh, some pace. And uh, let's move on to the uh, quarter-million-dollar Mountain View Handicap. And, uh, boy, I've got a lot of red marks all over the, this uh, my past performances from the form. But the one question here is uh, – well, actually, I have two questions. There seems to be lots of angles with several horses that are coming back from layoffs. And in looking at their running style here, I'm wondering – Who's going to take the lead? Uh, this is a race that, uh, for some reason, if somebody wants to press the pedal a little bit early, might get away from all these closers.
4: Yeah, I'm with you. That's the one thing that stood out to me. There's just very little early speed. I think, as you as you look at it, Jiminator has only raced once in a year. Uh, he, to me, is the most likely horse to get to the front and potentially go all the way. His last win, which was last year in the John Campbell and Laurel, he got loose in the lead and won and ran really fast. I gotta think that the connections are one to try to do the same thing in this race. Uh, so I think he's the dangerous horse and he should be a decent price if he would get out there. And it's not like, he's not like he's a one-way horse. He could win without the lead, but you put him on a lead in this kind of a race with very little other early pace. You could potentially see an oxbow in the previous situation.
2: Unbelievable. I, I, I swear you're looking over my shoulder here. I've got, I've got my little long shot play, uh, sketched into his uh his name i mean i know he's had a long layoff i thought that that was a a solid race coming back uh, uh coming out of a key race uh the horses that ran first and third both came back won their next races out of that optional claimer at belmont and the race you're talking about he did what he could do on saturday it was a mile and an eighth race and not everybody's won at that distance in here, and what he did was he was put on the lead and got the job done easily, running away by four again. that was a while back but yeah, uh, if but, he is in good shape, he's going to be dangerous
4: and I think that race off the layoff had they weren't they didn't really care if they won that race or not that race obviously was to get him to this race. Uh, yeah. and, and and whatever this horse has, I think we'll see it on Saturday night. Now, whether well, it's going to be good
2: enough to win, even if he does clear, is another question because there's some very nice horses in this race. Absolutely, and as you bring that up, I'll, I'll bring up Back Class. Uh, and again. A horse that coming back from awful layoff, and that uh, is obviously uh, Karen McLaughlin's rattlesnake bridge. I mean, here's a horse that that ran in the Breeders' Cup Classic, uh, that ran third in the Pennsylvania Derby, second in the traverse Stakes. But those were back in 2011, did not even start in 2012. But obviously, McLaughlin uh, felt that this was a horse to keep around for a while and then brought him back, won uh, uh, first out in March at Gulfstream Park, and then last time runs into uh, two horses uh, you know well uh, by the name of Flat Out and Cross Traffic. Um, you know, is he back? Is he okay? Is this the question? that he could, he could easily be the one to beat.
4: Yeah, I think he definitely fits in this spot. As you said, he, he ran third, distant third to flat out cross traffic, but obviously no disgrace there. Cross traffic did everything but win the Met Mile on Monday. Right. Flat out could have won it if he hadn't had so much traffic on the turn. So yeah, running just a distant third to those two, We've got 115 buyer, says that he fits in this spot very nicely. And I know Kieran's always had high hopes for the horse. He's had some, uh, some issues. Uh, that's why you see those layoff lines, but I it it appears as if he's back to his best form and his best form is is good enough to win this race.
2: Absolutely, you know, just off class alone and, and certainly uh, his connections and and his breeding uh tap it one of the hottest horses uh, in the in the US right now. It, the the only other horse uh, again is it, talking about who will be uh be put on the lead is uh, horse that's had kind of a storied history is uh Pants on fire. Do you think there's a chance they're going to put this horse on the lead? It has one in a mile and an but that was a long time ago in the Louisiana Derby. Yeah, and it does seem like forever ago
4: when uh, Rosie Pratnick was getting all the hope for running in the Derby with pants on fire after the Louisiana Derby win. But, yeah, he just hasn't really duplicated that form. Uh, but, again, on his best, if he can come back to it, he, he's a threat in the race. And the other horse that intrigues me a little bit is Easter Gift, Chad Brown's horse, Kendra Carmooch, who's been, uh, was the four-time leading rider at Parks. This horse's last race was spectacular, uh, and it looks to me like they're bringing, they were, they were gearing up for this race, so I think that's another contender
2: in there. Absolutely, Mike. Uh, and I noticed that Caramooch, when, when he was on Easter Gift, this horse performed, uh, its top numbers as far as buyer figures were concerned, a 98 and 95. My only question that I have noted on Easter Gift is whether or not he get the mile and an eighth.
4: Yeah, uh, that's a it's a legitimate question and it's not a distance
2: they run very often at, at national. All right, Dick, well, man, you've been fantastic and it looks like uh, somewhere along the line we kind of think alike. Well, um We've got about five minutes left uh, to, to look at to look at the Penn Mile, obviously the first running, a half a million. I, I thought it was a genius of, of Dan and the people uh, at Penn National to try to kind of find a spot and a niche for a one-mile turf race for three-year-olds uh, that uh, – figured out maybe they just weren't derby horses and they need to get back to the grass. Um and I can make a case easily for five horses in here.
4: Yeah, this is they, they really couldn't have done much better in the first running and you're right the Dan Silver and the people at 10 they, they wanted to get a marquee race for their marquee day and they looked around what's an underserved category and they came up as you said with three year olds in the grass going a mile and obviously this is the best three year old race on the grass that's been running anywhere in the country in twenty thirteen and yeah, there there are a whole bunch of horses that can win this race. Uh, to me, there's there's three that kind of uh, have pulled away from the crowd, and, and trying to separate them is very, very difficult. Uh, Jack Milton, who won the Transylvania for Todd Pletcher, horse that ran second in their race, came back to win the Marine and Woodbine. Horse that ran third in the race, came back to win the Murphy at Pemlico on Freakness Day. So that was a really strong running. Uh, Rider Luke. I thought ran an unbelievable race in a bluegrass. You can't win on the front end of England on the poly track, and he almost did. But he ended up finishing fourth, and he's a turf horse. He's undefeated and really unchallenged in his three grass horses, grass races. And then Noble Toon, who's four for five lifetime on grass, his only lost was a second in the British Cup Juvenile Turf, and, of course, Chad Brown, one of the best trainers in America. So you're talking those three are nine for 11 with two seconds. In, on the turf. So, yeah, that's that's how good the top of the pen mile is.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, uh, 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 speaking with uh, Todd Pletcher today, you know, he said that uh, Jack Milton may have moved a little too quick in the Transylvania, and Velasquez says, man, once he took the lead, you know, turn for home. He thought he had the race run, and he was just kind of lollygagging around. And then you mentioned the two horses that he was able to hold off by a neck, uh, come back and win stakes. Uh, we just don't know how good this horse is. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, Warfront's just has had a sensational uh, year. Um, he's going to be ex- extremely dangerous. And the other horse that Pletcher mentioned uh, is the Charming Kitten. We all know that Kitten Joys absolutely love the weeds. Uh, his foray uh, to the Kentucky Derby was his only start. On dirt, so I think you can throw that one out. And he pointed out how slow the pace was in the Palm Beach uh, that Ride of Luke won. And uh, again, you, you've got Joel Rosario in the saddle. There's, it, it's awful hard to leave him off your ticket if you're going a little deep in your uh, supers.
4: Yeah, now he's certainly not overmatched in the race. I do think Ryder Luke is is better, as he proved in the Palm Beach he won pretty decisively with the the pace advantage. And Ryder Luke could get a pace advantage in this race. He could potentially clear the field. Uh, and of, of the three horses that I mentioned, and, and obviously any of them could win. Ryder Luke is the mystery of the three. He, nobody really knows how good he is. Uh, there's the potential he could be a crass superstar. We just don't know that yet. But his three races have been so awesome. He's won by such big margins. This obviously is the most difficult assignment so far, because
3: as so we mentioned,
4: uh, Jack Milton, Noble Promise. These, these are horses of, of serious stature with significant accomplishment.
2: Well, it's it's a it's a great field, and all I can say, Dick, is you got your work cut out for you. I wish you the best of luck at Penn National. So you will be in in the paddock throughout the card, handicapping these races. So if you have any late change of mind, our listeners can watch you on their simulcast or be there in person. Correct. Okay. I'm not sure if I lost Dick or not, but nonetheless, I certainly appreciate him uh, being with us, uh, breaking down the inaugural running of, of the Penn Mile, uh, then the uh, Mountain View Handicap, and the Pennsylvania Governor's Cup. There's going to be a lot of opportunities for some awful good uh, handicapping and racing uh, for you at Winning Ponies, don't forget to come to uh, the, the Easy Figs. Now, again, I want to remind everybody uh, that uh, we are having a Belmont Stakes Handicapping Contest. Get your pencils out. Go to show at winningponies.com and put in your top four picks, okay, in the order that you want them. We'll figure out who the uh, the, the top winners are. Uh, you're going to get an autographed copy of Jack Van Berg's From Grit to Glory, or a uh, original photo of Ali Sheba winning the Breeders' Cup, or a poster from Wise Dan. I want to thank uh, Dick Curardi and Dan Silver for being with us. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Remember, if you take a loved one to the races, practice safe
1: bets. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Network.